0: Episode a million, I mean 15, of the Anarchist Book Club with Jim Yeoman and me, Danny Evans. This is a special collaboration episode that we recorded with Pearson from Coffee with Comrades, and in which we interviewed Ruth Kinner about her book The Government of No One. Shortly before recording the interview, I'd attended an online talk by Pascal Siegrist about anarchist geographers in the late 19th century it was really interesting and it was on my mind while we chatted with Ruth and it accounts for one of the questions I asked about Eurocentrism and progress. So I just wanted to acknowledge that influence uh, without, of course, claiming that Pascal would necessarily agree with my interpretation. Anyway, hope you enjoy this episode.
1: So I thought, you know, a good way to kind of start would just be to kind of go around in a circle, um, you know, give our names, our our pronouns, our um, academic or or activist affiliations, and uh, either for Jim and Danny and I, the the shows that we host, uh, or for Ruth, um, the name of the book you wrote. Um, So I'll just go ahead and start. My name is Pearson. Um, I host the podcast Coffee with Comrades. Um, I teach at uh, Florida State University and do a whole bunch of crazy you know, lefty stuff in the community, uh, and uh, yeah, that's
2: me. So, so my name is Ruth. I, am, I work at uh, Loughborough University in in the UK, and um, I've recently uh, published the *Government of No One*. And I'm a member at, at Loughborough of the um, the Anarchism Research Group, which does a lot of really interesting stuff. And uh, I've been there since 1992.
0: I'm Danny. Uh, Danny Evans. Um I'm the Danny from ABC with Danny and Jim. Um I teach history at a university in Liverpool and my pronouns are he him. Hi yeah, I'm Jim Yeoman,
3: he him. Uh, also based in Liverpool but not currently affiliated to University. Um formerly of uh, University of Sheffield and uh the book that I published last year is called Print Culture and the Formation of the Anarchist Movement in Spain.
1: All right, cool. Well, um, today we're going to go around and kind of ask Ruth a bunch of questions about her new book, uh, The Government of No One. And I, I think, Danny, you are you are up, up in the first slot, my, my guy. So why don't you uh, start us off?
0: Okay, Ruth. So um, perhaps this was a general introductory question. Could, could you explain why you were attracted to the the project, the writing this book, and how your book differs from other introductions to anarchism
2: so the book came about because i i was approached so i was approached by pelican and um you know what's not to like about that uh it was i was just bowled over if you like by the the opportunity and um i suppose part of me i mean always thinks that um uh, whenever i finish a, a project or a piece of work you know i my my first reaction is to to think oh thank goodness that's over and my second reaction is to 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 tend to think, what would I have done differently? If I got to do this again, what would I do differently? And because I had written an introduction to anarchism um, a few years back, um, it, it is something I think about quite a lot. Um, and I thought about since publishing this as well, you know what would I do differently? Um so it was it was just too good an opportunity to to miss. And it was something. I, I like explaining anarchism. I think basically, I, that's one of the things I like doing. Um, I like promoting anarchist ideas, and and this was a, a fantastic chance t- to do that. I mean, in terms of what I wanted to do in the book, I mean, I didn't, I didn't actually set out to to try and do something entirely new. Uh, there were things that I did want to. To do, I suppose. I mean, one of the things I wanted to do was to to try and make um, the anarchist critique intelligible to people who would be naturally skeptical. You know, perhaps to an audience who wouldn't otherwise pick up a book on anarchism, uh, but who might pick up a Penguin. Um, I wanted to, yeah. So I wanted to make the critique intelligible without compromising on its um, on its depth or its scope or its its radicalism, if you like. Um, so that's one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to change the dynamic of the debate about violence. So although I kind of signal at the open in the opening um, that I'm aware of the kind of the branding issue that anarchists have, you know that they're associated with these, they have these kind of images that attach to to them as as um, fanatics, uh, terrorists, you know, um, irrational, all, all of these kinds of stereotypes. Um, i didn't want to 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 start the discussion with that so I wanted to 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 recognize that there was violence that's integral to the story of anarchism but to to think about that from a different point of view so actually anarch- violence gets introduced into the story through an account of repression and and then by the time we get to the the so-called terrorism actually there's a different context in which that's discussed so i wanted to challenge those kinds of debates. I wanted to, to muddy distinctions that are made between anarchist schools. So, I mean, the, the, the primary school, the primary distinction being between uh, individualists and communists. And I wanted to suggest that although um, this is an important distinction, I mean, it's certainly important historically, um, and I mean, it's still important, I think, actually. Uh, that, that it's 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 easily overplayed, uh, and that there are there's much more that's going on in the relationship between anarchists than than you might otherwise be led to believe. And I also wanted to to maybe put people in different kinds of alignment. So um, at one point in the book, I, I I put Bakunin next to Tolstoy and suggest actually that there's there's a conversation to be had between them, that the critique of political theology doesn't rule out of religious sensibility, uh, that these things are not these are not tensions and contradictions that make anarchism into an incoherent mess they're just different ways of thinking about the same problem um and people come up with different different responses and solutions to that and and i wanted to um, I, I wanted to think about the relationships between people who are who are obviously anarchists who define themselves as anarchist or who are so closely associated with anarchist traditions, and maybe people who are less obviously associated with anarchism, uh, but where I think there are alignments and conversations to be had. And finally, I wanted to t- tell some stories about about the individuals who I think make up this tradition. Um, so. The, there's a there's a, a hefty section at the back of the book, which which basically covers a, a whole set of of biographies of of my cast of characters, if you like. And um, I mean, it, it was it's, it's risky in a way because of you you always end up excluding some people who you know who deserve to be mentioned and talked about. But but I I, I, I at least wanted to give people readers a flavour of the of the lives that that had been led uh, and the contributions that individuals made and. And, and the and the fantastically rich uh contributions that, that individuals made to this tradition.
1: Beautiful. Well, I for one have like a million questions. Um and I <laughs> we're probably not gonna get to all of them, but uh I did want to ask you, because you have this like really lengthy and, and wonderful section about the efficacy of education in your book, Ruth, which which really appealed to me as a professor. And I think it is part of like kind of the conversations that a lot of us, uh, you know, hosting this podcast have with one another and and with our colleagues all the time. Right. Is like, how do we, how, how, how can we be good educators, right? And I think, you know, even um, the, the podcasts that we both host are, are doing a lot of educational work. And so it's one of the things that appealed to me and, and I wanted to ask you about, because um, it really gels with my sort of pedagogical approach to teaching. And in The Government of No One, you have this really useful figure, um, which is 2.1 for folks who have the book, which outlines the differences that distinguish anarchist education from status education and i thought it was useful that you used anarchist education and status education rather than like leftist education like it, it, the, there's the distinction right between like a very specific type of libertarian type of education and and status education and so i was wondering if you could um maybe walk us briefly through the different ways that anarchists and status approach the conception management method and aims of education
2: uh i can try uh so um so it is a long section on education and. And it's a long section because it mirrors the, the previous discussion. So the previous chapter is all about domination. Um, and what I try and do in the previous chapter is, is think about the different ways in which anarchists have understood problems of domination. And, and these are multiple. Um, and there's no, uh, there's, no, there's no silver bullet to anarchy. There are, there are just multiple forms of domination that anarchists are wrestling with all of the time. Um, both um externally if you like in terms of uh the hierarchies that exist uh but also internally in terms of the 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 social context that they inhabit themselves so domination is a is the is the is the problem that I set up and education is introduced as a way of thinking about well how do you deal with that um and and part of the discussion is sort of turns I suppose on on a relationship that I'm trying to build between um anarchism as a critique of republicanism. And if you think about it um in those ways, then one of the things that anarchists inherit from republicanism is is the idea of of how you create how you create and sustain the the virtuous republic, and you do that by 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 nurturing virtuous and 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 creative and and participatory citizens, right? Well, the anarchist doesn't want to sustain the republic. The anarchist wants to 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 keep building anarchy, uh, but it's the same problem. If if you know that domination exists. If you can locate it in particular kinds of hierarchy, then there are are ways in which you can structurally change, Uh, but you still have this problem of of always being aware of the possibility that some people may try and exercise uh, power over others, uh, command authority over others, not understand the hierarchies they're in, all of these problems. So this is a problem of education. It's a problem that anarchists try and deal with i think in the round in terms of um socializing people how do you the question is how do you socialize people to to exercise individual judgments cooperatively and in ways that don't dominate others and in ways that aren't repressive and that's essentially a problem of of educating uh, and you can do it in multiple ways. You can do it by drawing people's attention to um, to the, the powers that, that that currently dominate. You can do it by persuasion. You can do it through dramatic actions. You can do it in 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 all kinds of ways. You can do it through propaganda in in multiple forms. But it is about education. So that's one way in which I I, I sort of introduce, if you like, the idea of education. And once I think I, you know, so the question that then. Um, Raises itself for me is well, you know. So how do you how do you close the gap between uh, an aspiration to to educate people so that they can operate uh, that they can be empowered to to function anarchistically uh, in a society that you know is dominating? So there's forever this tension about how you do that. And the one thing that you you know that anarchists can't do is that they can't tell people, they can't command people to be anarchists. They can't give them a book. They can't just sort of say, these are the, the 10 things that you need to know in order to, to be anarchist. This is the party line or whatever. Exactly. So, so education necessarily has to be a constant process in which... Uh, everybody is trying to learn from each other uh, to live in ways that are non-dominating <laughs> and that suggests i think a particular kind of pedagogy so the way that that discussion attempts to 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 roll out is from the the kind of the the, the general problem of socialization uh, and how you build uh, or what it is you're trying to do through education and then the the the, the, the smaller but but no less significant problem of the institutions and the methods that you use that you necessarily have to to use in order to fulfill the ends that you want to achieve and and they, those ends are non-dominating and that of course sets up a problem of 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 instruction and guidance and uh, overcoming a power relationship. Which we always confront whenever we try and educate anybody about anything, um, and I think in anarchism, what I'm try- one of the things I'm trying to say is that if you're aware of the gap, if you're aware of that potential problem, then you can always use the the um, the, the the power relationships that that could potentially become really damaging in in more constructive ways. And and that, I think, is what anarchists try and do. And so the end of the chapter tries to show um, in in practical ways the the kinds of experiments that anarchists have entered into precisely in order to to, um, build confidence about anarchism, to um, lay out the principles and to encourage people to become uh, anarchistic in their practices without the use of command.
1: Right. i'm not forcing you but encouraging it's like the difference when yeah, your parent, right. your mom or dad is like hey you know i'm not i'm not
2: telling you to do this thing it would just right <laughs> really i'm encouraging you i'm inviting you to, to, to do yeah. this thing so and, and this is the problem that you know so people like Tolstoy who set up schools were you know were constantly wrestling with this you know one of the things that one of the sort of the um the things that really troubled him was that you know he was a great a great lover of 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 Beethoven and Uh, high art if you like but also respected the folk art of the of the kids that he was he was trying to to educate so you know one of the problems he has is well you know he starts off with the idea that well children will just come to Beethoven if you let them you know develop in their own ways and then he realizes that they don't Uh, so how do you introduce them to something that you think is good without imposing your own uh, value system in a way that crushes everything else in them and i think that you know that that's the problem that that in you know in a, in a specific way that that the anarchist is trying to deal with and and that means that education must be fundamentally different from the, from the way it works in the state because in the state you're being trained up to do something always and trained up to to fit some model of practice that's been determined for you uh and, and that's it, it it means you have Completely different methods of, of 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 educating people. Completely different aims. Completely different objectives. Um, it's, it's a world of difference between the two.
3: Yeah, thanks for that, Ruth. That I really kind of chimed a lot with, with you know with many of the examples that I found in Spain around the turn of the century. Where I really I agree with you in a way that you know education really is the frame, the the kind of master framework that they're trying to operate in. They see everything they're doing as as educative, and they have these. You know, these kind of wrestles, as you put it, you know, like uh, Francisco Ferrer, you know, always occurs in, in discussions of anarchist education, but he was having the exact same, you know, debates within the movement, you know, others in the movement saying, no, this is dominating, this is elitist, this is, um, you know, this is telling people what to do. And, and he kind of sometimes was a bit like, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> um, but, you know, the, yeah, it's a, it's a constant thing. And I think that this <clears throat> kind of focusing in on education kind of ties back to, you know, the, the first question and your answer there about trying to reframe anarchism. And I think that a lot of these thoughts about education are something that would resonate with many people now about, you know, the, the relationship of power within education. Um, and I think, you know, focusing on that and and kind of pulling out that and making, for example, violence a kind of a part of that, but it's definitely not the whole story, is, is really adding to what you're doing with the book. And I think, you know, this ties into a question I have about, as as anyone working on anarchist history or theory knows, you know, you, you do often encounter the persistent claims from people who aren't anarchists that it is deviant, that it is dangerous, or I, I like the quote that you put in by a Zenker that it's it's a hallmark by a, a childlike catastrophism. I, I know it's a it's a massive question, but you know, why do you think that it that it has this this purchase? Like one. One idea I sort of throw out is, you know, perhaps because, as you say, of, of anarchism's emphasis on doing and on deeds and, on, you know, kind of getting involved and not having these kind of sacred, you know, canonical texts, you know, as in contrast to, say, the, the very scientific and kind of inverted commas um, theorizing that's so embedded in the, in the Marxist tradition, that was just, just one idea. I wondered if you had any others about why it is that you know the the, the anarchist bomb thrower, you know, uncontrollable, you know, remains so domineering in the uh, in the discussion of the.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, in a sense, I mean, the anarchists um, have you know have only got themselves to blame. I mean, if you call yourself an anarchist when when you know that the word means chaos. Uh, then, then there's then then you're working. You know, you're putting yourself on the back foot in a in a way. But but at the same time, I I think you know the reason that that someone like Proudhon calls himself an anarchist is because he wants to to make clear that he's he is he doesn't see himself. He doesn't see his politics within the framework, the ideological framework of of post revolutionary Europe. So where you have a breakdown between conservatives. Uh, liberals and and then, as as the century goes on, socialists, you know anarchy is not is not on that spectrum. it's out of that spectrum. and and you have to understand that, I think, and that's why you know Proudhon has this kind of provocative uh, or he adopts this provocative um, label. and but because it's it's bound to be scary. and but I think that message comes through quite loud and clear. so, I'm not sure that it's the the emphasis on on deeds as such. I mean, I think that comes. I mean, the stories I tell at the at the beginning of the book about um, Haymarket and the Paris Commune. Uh, I mean, these are important events, uh, but the demonization that that takes place uh, precedes any of the the big you know uh, waves of of assassination that come in Europe in the the 1890s to you know the early the early century. This is The reputation that the anarchist has uh, is acquired, you know, through um, through a fear. I think that, you know, these are socialists at the the point at which the the first international breaks down. I mean, the commentators who are looking at that um, are looking at the relationships between these two wings of a socialist movement, which nobody really understands. Uh, But it but they but they do pick up on on the fact that well, there is an aspiration in in part of this socialist movement to take part in in parliamentary institutions and and that makes them look good so yeah, you know it may be a complete distortion of marxism to say that they were they were reformist but but they're, it looks like they're, they're joining it looks like they're at least having a, a conversation about these institutions the anarchists are saying i don't want anything to do with this i'm going to work outside and of course that's immediately a problem because and that's what exactly what the anarchists do they mobilize um in in union movements they mobilize in you know in in their own smaller groups and they and they're attacking all of the institutions that uh you know are being defended as as perfect expressions of of liberty and equality you know how much how much worse could it be i think there's also a kind of a historical accident if you like that you know some of the anarchists who are coming out of Russia. So some of the big names in anarchism, it 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 forges a link with nihilism. You know the nihilists have just killed the czar. Uh, you know there's a lot of women involved, and and not only are they killing people, they're also not getting married. You know this is this is this is appalling kind of transgressive behaviour because if you start attacking institutions like the family, goodness knows where are we going to end up? You know so I think you you can see why you know, anarchism presses these kinds of buttons uh of of destructiveness uh and and social chaos because actually that that is what the anarchists want to do they do want to transgress they don't want to obey the rules they're they're not accepting the um uh the norms and and they uh, you know and they're associated as well with with anti-state struggle uh, and and then you've got the chaos label. So anyone who then seems to sort of, um, or any movement that, that, that falls into this category is, is always going to be anarchist, whatever the politics that's being expressed, which is why, you know, from the 1780s, you know, any kind of assassination attempt is being labelled anarchist. So that the attempts on, on the Kaiser, they're anarchist, even though from the anarchist point of view, of course, they're not. So it's that kind of general confusion, I think, that explains the demonization. Um, and I think the I mean, the reputation that Marxists gain for being scientific, um, I mean, that's another complication, but I think that comes a bit later. I mean, Marx is known um, from the manifesto and, and in 1871 as, as being a, a fairly threatening character. He's the Red Doctor, right? Uh, so the that that uh, tendency if you like to to think of marxism as a theory and anarchism as a as a practice i think that comes later
0: yeah i think that's really convincing ruth um but i mean just now that the this the sort of anarchist marxist um divergence has been introduced it's made me think um about the educational question and this is, like, sort of deviating from the script a bit. but um,
1: That's where things get interesting, Danny. <laughs> Let's deviate.
0: Well, it, it just occurs to me that, you know, especially thinking about the, 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 the anarchist movements that, that Jim and I in particular sort of look at in Spain, like, education, yes, is this, like, kind of framework, the master framework, if you like, for understanding their activity. But um, just on the, on the face of it, without, like, getting into the, the sort of anarchistic techniques of um of um, performing that educational work the idea that there are some people anarchists in this case who have like who have arrived at the truthful position who've understood how domination operates in society and then need to persuade the masses right of of that truth um is you know on the face of it broadly similar to say that the sort of leninist conception of like require like um, consciousness needing to be introduced to the working classes from the outside, and it just occurs to me that I mean, what I would wonder what you think like about say, the Rosa Luxemburg's critique of of Lenin in this sort of period of the early twentieth century, to to basically sort of try and subvert that whole model, right, of saying of saying that in fact you know it's, it's us who are likely to learn from. Um, from the masses, right? From the struggle, like that—that—that that, that process itself is what's going to is going to have like an educative um, quality. And if you think about, if we, th- you know, the Paris Commune has already been talked about. If you think about like, the Paris Commune itself as something that doesn't like emerge as a consequence of propaganda, although you know maybe that's a sort of more complicated uh, question. Um, but you know, has this enormous like um, sort of generative role in both uh, Marxist, at, but. But definitely, specifically, anarchist conceptualizing of tr- revolutionary transformation in the future. So I wonder, like, what you think about the Luxembourg critique, and would you? I mean, would you claim that critique for as a libertarian critique? And would you agree that it, in some ways, it's like a more profoundly, it's a more profound subversion of the educational model because it goes beyond like just a, a, a technique of um, of trying to like um, um, sort of mitigate domination.
2: So there's a lot that, I mean, so, so one difference, I think, between um, anarchists and Marxists is um, all that. I mean, given, given that there's huge variety as well within Marxism, but, but you don't get the same, there's no role for, there's a very different understanding of class and and what class does um, or what the, the function of, of, of class is. And, and, for me, I mean, I, you know, I do write about um, or try and sort of talk about different ways that anarchists have understood class, but however they've written about it and have a close, some of the discourses to discourses in Marxism, I don't think anarchists uh, typically, at least, um, consider that change comes through um, understanding a particular social role. It's not about um, constituting yourself it's about how you behave so it's about it is about practices it's not about sort of delivering liber- liberation and and that that makes revolutionary change different in these in these traditions for me in terms of the I mean I think you know on the on the kind of the Kautsky-Lenin um you know the gap between the um the the problem of consciousness, if you like, and working class consciousness, and how you overcome misunderstanding, or, or how you how you instruct people in in, or how you how you draw people's attention to the fact that they may be exploited, they may be oppressed, and they don't realise it. How do you do that? Well, it's not quite the same problem because you're not you're not trying to create class consciousness, but what you are trying to do, and I think this is really clear in people like Malatesta, you are aware of the fact that people are manipulated. Uh, and they're deferential, and they're misled, and they're frightened, uh, and they're likely to believe uh, the people that they're told they should believe. So there are, you know, dominant structures which inhibit people from um, taking part in in revolutionary movements, in 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 expressing themselves in ways that anarchists want to, to them to to express themselves in through resistance. So there is that gap, but you know, I think Malatesta's pretty clear that, you know, you can't you can't, you can only keep trying to show what the problem is and persuade people. And if they don't join resistance movements, then then it this is a matter of strategy and waiting and and organizing. It's not a matter of developing the right consciousness in order to achieve revolution at a you know, a a time that that somebody else understands is correct. I think that these are fundamentally different ways of looking at revolution um, and historical forces and and change. I mean, in terms of, you know, is is Rosa Luxemburg libertarian? I think there are aspects of Rosa Luxemburg which are libertarian, Um, but she's also a determinist. I mean, she's an economic determinist. Um, So, you know, I think those critiques make sense Within the framework of the debates that are going on within social democracy at the time, and I think they are important debates. And I think there are conversations to be had always across uh, libertarian traditions. But I don't think that the starting points are the same. i think I think they are different. Okay. I mean, in other words, so, I mean, I think I mean i th- I do think that I mean, I think there's a temptation often to um to think that anarchists don't have uh, a distinctive kind of way of 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 theorising, but I think they do. Uh, and I think that comes through the critique of domination. And, and and not just, you know, if we call this the state, then we can get misled because the state is a is a concept that that appears across socialist traditions. But I think the critique of domination actually is distinctive in anarchism.
3: I'll follow that, you know, that big, big question there and where where we ended on on domination, um, with I guess one one way that anarchists have kind of conceived and articulated uh domination and then um, i just I, when i was reading i just really I picked up on you know it's, it's unfair to focus on, on one line i suppose but I, I was interested in 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 kind of exploring it because on our podcast we've we've talked uh, about quite a few works on slavery the experience of slavery um Emancipation, the self-emancipation of, of uh, blacks in the United States, and and kind of that kind of world anyway. You know, we looked at Paul Gilroy, uh, David Rothenberg's work, and Julius S. Scott. So, you know, it's something that you know we obviously have an interest in, and and the line that you you, you made the point that despite the very frequent invocations of slavery in nineteenth-century anarchist writing, in particular, but beyond that as well. Um, you say that they, they are not making a moral equivalence between chattel and wage slavery; that, that there is something distinct in that, um, and I and I wondered what that what that distinction was because again it's something I encounter quite a lot and and, and is in in the book quite a lot. You know, there's there's Lewis quote that government is organised slavery, and and that kind of made me think like, okay, so what it, is there a different kind of understanding of slavery than than the one that I guess most people now would 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 think of chattel slavery, and 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 if there is that, could you could you kind of develop on it?
2: I think anarchists recognize, or the the, the people I'm talking about, I mean certainly people like Kropotkin, um, but not just Kropotkin, recognised that there was, there was a difference um, in the in the status that people had once chattel slavery was abolished. So the the acknowledgement of rights, even if you couldn't enjoy them, still made a difference. You had you were you had fundamentally different status, and there's something that 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 Hopkins says at some point in, in um, Words of a Rebel, you know that um, you can't whip people on the streets in Paris like you can in Odessa, because people have rights. You simply can't do it. You could have done it, you know, 50 years ago before the revolution or whatever, or 100 years ago, but you can't do it now. So it makes a fundamental difference. But but having said that, um, I think anarchists were serious that the, um, the brutality that you find in the worst forms of chattel slavery uh, could be replicated uh, even after the abolition and were uh, and are. Um, I think they were serious that that, um, that the violence that's that's um, uh, involved in contract, where people have rights and they can choose, you know, effectively what they do, and they can have legal legal protections and all the rest of it. That the but there's nevertheless there is a violence which can be as um, as harsh that the compulsion remains, um, and that the basic relationship between master and slave is replicated, even in a regime of rights. So there are differences. There are clearly differences in the status of a, a chattel slave and uh, a wage worker, a wage slave. Uh, but there is a fundamental continuity as well. And so when Tolstoy says in the slavery of hard times, you know, what's, he kind of asked the question, you know, what's the difference? You know, in, in the old days, um, the, the landowner could compel the serf to go down into the cesspit and clean it out. And now the landowner can't do that, uh, because the serfs have been freed. But nevertheless, the landowner has the power to pay one of a hundred serfs, former serfs, to go and do this on a contractual basis. Not much changed, but there's not the same yeah, the the fact that rights have been asserted, of course, makes a difference.
3: Well, that that's interesting because it really echoes uh, a point that's made very early in David Roden his book about season freedom, in which he says, you know, despite all of the you know continuing violence and oppression post uh, self emancipation of slaves, that there is still a difference in 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 you know the situation between those two points, and I think that that would would kind of carry on there so yeah no it's an interesting point and thanks yeah for your
2: but i think i mean lucy parsons i mean it says you know words to the effect you know we came out of the civil war um having fought uh in order to to abandon to abolish slavery that was that was that was what were, for her that was what the civil war was about in america um and uh and her position uh in 1887 is that uh they were sold a lie
1: yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty damning, uh, especially coming from Lucy Parsons. Ruth, one of the recurrent themes that I noticed throughout The Government of No One is how you place different tensions in anarchist theory and praxis around these separate poles. And you, you, you talked about this at the very beginning of this discussion, where you draw distinctions between these different types of trends within anarchism right between social and individualist currents in anarchism or debates around nonviolence and tactical diversity and and one of the things that has always consistently drawn me to anarchism is its ability to perform these types of nuanced syntheses right it's not either or but it's both and and so i was curious if if you think that anarchism offers a useful framework for this sort of dialectical critical inquiry and 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 what it is about um anarchist theory and praxis that uh, maybe lends itself to this sort of analysis and and and
2: and inquiry. Well, that's yeah that's, int- that's interesting um so i suppose i mean one of the things i was trying to do um when in in the discussion of uh, organization and individualism and and all of that was to to try and suggest that the kind of the classic mappings between individualists as as people who reject violence and hate organization, uh, and and the social anarchists or the communists as as people who you know are, are ready at the drop of a hat to build a barricade and um, you know will dragoon people into to all kinds of uh, um, potentially rigid sort of. Um, organizational structures you know this is this is this is a parody and 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 there are there are overlaps and uh there are there are as you say there are tensions and that's that's the point because for me um you know these arguments about you know how we should um how we should strategize or how we should respond to uh, to domination. This is a problem of this is an issue of context and and it, and it's an issue of judgment fundamentally uh, and and responsibility. Uh, so you know people make decisions. Clearly there there can be there can be you know principled dis- divisions between people about certainly on questions of violence, uh, but in the main it seems to me uh, that the one of the one of the really rich things about anarchism is this ongoing uh, discussion, if you like, about um, what we can learn from particular people in particular times and and how that informs our current practices and responses to to problems. and and m- most of all, for me, um, how we can resist being too judgmental about the choices that other people have made uh because you know we have to walk a mile in other people's shoes we have to try and imagine ourselves in those contexts and and have a bit of humility if you like about the choices that people have made and and the decisions that that, 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 that people take uh so uh the uh, and i think that argument and that debate must continue and i think it's i think anarchists miss a trick if if um really complex decisions about organization and strategy become too programmatic, you know that this is the way that you do something. i I just think that that's that's probably a recipe for disaster. <laughs> uh, you know if 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 there's if if you know people have to 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 evaluate the the context in which they're in and make decisions on that basis in cooperation with others, that's that's where I want it to go.
1: Yeah, that fluidity is is really really appealing, and it and it makes it I think it makes it a really dynamic um, philosophy for approaching all sorts of different issues in life, whether it's education, like we were talking about, whether it's state oppression, whether it's um, personal relationships, like in the family or or in or like romantic relationships. Um, it's it's all subject for um, critique and analysis because of the fluidity and the dynamism um, of anarchy, which I think is neat.
2: Emma Goldman is that she's constantly wrestling with, you know, did she do the right thing? <laughs> and often saying, oh, I don't think I did. Uh, you know, and it, but it's open and it's, it's out there and and it's for everyone to see. And, you know, you can only learn from that.
3: Something that I wanted to ask that you've already kind of touched upon it, and I just you know perhaps want to uh, just expand a bit more. You know, I found the discussion of anarchist attitudes towards law really interesting, and, and and not really something that that comes up a great deal. I don't think in in that kind of way you've approached it. Um, and, and anarchist attitudes to say the Enlightenment and the notion of modernity, I find find very interesting, and you know, I've encountered a few times recently this notion of a kind of Alternative modernity, or an anarchist modernity, and I think that that's that's a really kind of that's something that I'd like to kind of explore more in this relationship. Um, not least because you know I'm familiar in in the Spanish context of uh, anarchism being seemingly forever framed by Eric Osborne uh, as as a kind of primitive, pre-modern uh, sort of way of thinking of the world. Um, But this is clearly something that as you said earlier you know it is it is slightly out of the spectrum in a way of of kind of european or you know global kind of thought you know post french revolution but at the same time it it clearly does use uh, a kind of enlightenment modernity mentality to to some extent you know the concepts and the subjects of anarchism uh, are often you know often you know the same uh, the, the other movements are using, but they've been kind of reframed in a way that doesn't click into very easily a kind of liberal or Marxist teleology. Um, and I wonder if this, you know, if you feel, and you kind of suggested already, so maybe the answer is just yes, but if, if this is, uh, you know, this is a cut between anarchism and, and other kind of groups on the left or liberals, or you know, these kind of things, um, that goes deeper than often how it's framed, which is the distinction is between strategy. You know, you'll find it in account of the first international that really the only difference between them is, is how they achieve the same ends. This suggests actually, now that this is something, you know, kind of fundamentally uh, different between the two. And I wondered if you had anything more to say. Yeah,
2: I, yeah, absolutely. I think it's fundamentally different to to everybody, actually. So, um, I mean, the anarchists, <laughs> the anarchists sort of... Argue basically that the state is a historic defeat. <laughs> uh, so, so, in that sense, I mean, they're kind of part of 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 everything that you could associate with with modernity. In the sense that they they anticipate people like Weber and say, but this is all wrong. <laughs> this is what we should resist. You know, all of these forces. These these are these are our detriment. This is our doom. Um, you know, the last words that Kropotkin says at the end of. Of, the state, its historic role is you know, you've got a choice. it's it's um life and mutual aid, or it's the state and death. Um, you know, and he's not far wrong. Um, and what he's looking at and 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 not just Kropotkin, but but I think you know you find the same kinds of themes in in bakunin in in most of Bakunin's followers, so Reclus, Malatesta, all of these people. you know they're looking round at, at their, um, you know their local environments, if you like, and they're seeing forms of life and practices, uh, ways of living, social orders, uh, which are not pre-state in the sense that they're destined to be developed or or overcome. These these are these have evolved over time, and they're perfectly capable of evolving again and and of adapting and developing and becoming you know enriched and and all of this, but that process will be halted with the With the extension and the imposition of state structures, that that's basically, I think, the argument that you know what do you lose if you centralize everything, if you regulate everything, if you demand uniformity, if you uh, impose these uh, ways of living and practices that people themselves become detached from? Uh, you know that you physically move people you know, from one location to another in order to satisfy some some need of the state, uh, that you dragoon them into military service, that, you know, you start regulating people's lives in completely um, artificial ways, uh, that, that they're not, that people are, you know, but one of the things that Kropotkin says in Mutual Aid is, you know, the village community is the most stable social system. It's the one that you find everywhere across the globe. It's existed for the longest period of time. Uh, it it continues to exist within the state. So I mean, and the point he's making is not that you know we should try and preserve something in aspect, uh, aspect, but but that we should resist those those forces that will crush it because the costs of that are you know, social alienation, detachment um, and and a complete dislocation of of individuals from from environments that they can participate in and shape themselves. And I, so, so from that point of view, you know, it, of course, from from the critical perspective, that looks backward-looking because if you assume that the state is a historic victory uh, and you know the root of all all progress and and well-being, then of course any kind of critique makes it look as if you've you're trying to to turn the clock back. But the anarchist is saying, you know, that that, that those time frames themselves are. Are completely fictitious. You know, you've just imposed that on the world and said that's what you think because you have this kind of civilizational logic. Um, but but we should we should question that. We should we should critique that, and we should preserve those those um, those kinds of order, those those social forms, and try and replicate them um, in ways as far as we can uh, in order to resist the the encroachments of the state. But do, I mean, don't you think there's a bit of
0: a tension here, though, Ruth? I mean, I, I, personally, I see a lot of like what you might call civilizational thinking in um, classical anarchist thoughts. Um, and as you know, as sensitive as uh, people like Reclus and Kropotkin were to um, sort of non-state societies, I still sort of think they had a, um, they had an idea of progress, and they 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 understood that progress in civilizational terms. I mean, I think. I think in Re- Reclu has in, in one of one of the books like uh, an actual like a sort of a schema, you know, of like uh, a mapping of civilization moving from like the fluvial to the oceanic and things like that. And yeah, I mean they're, they're obviously aware of um, the the bumps on the road and things like that. But I think you know and, and yeah, don't consider the state to be a motor of progress. But I, I mean, do, I mean, can't you see this kind of like baggage? In like things like you know the the Manifesto of the Sixteen, right? There's there's an investment in uh, an enlightenment idea of civilization and progress, and um, that has you know that has its sort of political consequences in the 20th century.
2: Oh, I, I don't want to whitewash the anarchists and say you know they you, know, uh, uh, you know, people are people are products of their time to a, to a, to a degree. I think I mean one of the things that you find often certainly in, in reclus and in kropotkin and, and Metchnikov, uh, who who was also part of the the kind of the the geography gang um is this sort of inheritance from comte of of you know the three stages you know and this is this is replicated in 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 a lot of their work but i think the difference with 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 the anarchists is that they don't map it to to particular cultures so I well not consistently at least not systematically. So and and you do get in uh, certainly in in Kropotkin and Reclus um, an explicit uh, rejection of the idea that Europe and the West are at the top of the stages. What you tend to find in them is that the top of the stages is anarchy and now you know to us to a to a greater or lesser degree and and you can and you know rocker gets wrapped up in 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 that criticism too you know they tend to associate anarchy with western forms but not exclusively but you know maybe they're reading the world through a western lens i mean you know undoubtedly these things are true i mean they can't you can't escape these kinds of 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 prejudice if you like or norm um, but but did they think uh, that that Western civilization was was superior. I, I'm I'm not sure it's that clear cut. You know, I th- I think they're at least conscious of the fact that uh, there is a um, there is a narrative within uh, the 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 sort of the within colonialism and within imperialism that suggests that. Uh, Enlightenment comes from adopting Western practices, and and in that respect, for me, they're absolutely opposed to that. I, they simply don't subscribe to it, you know. So I think, you know, you know, even the Manifesto of the Sixteen. I mean, what are we, you know, what are they, what are they talking about? They're actually talking about a distinction within Europe. So for the Kropotkinites, you know, civilization is. Uh, threatened by the spread of or by the prosification of Europe. That's a civilizational problem. And why is it a civilizational problem? Well, because, you know, my view is that, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, and however sort of crude the analysis or, or faulty the analysis might have been, they saw in Prussia uh, the exemplary state and that if Prussia won, if Germany won, then that would become the model for the rest of Europe and for, for Kropotkin, his obsession, for Russia. The one thing you didn't want to happen in Russia was that it would replicate the German model. And the only chance to to, to enable Russia to, to reconstitute federation uh, of multiple nations uh, was, was to resist it. And he he was wrong, you know, he was proved wrong. But I think that's what he was about. So I don't think you know when they use that kind of frame of civilization, they're they're thinking about uh, about uh, the breakdown of 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 um, of powers within Europe. They're not talking about Europe and the colonies. But you know, of course, people make plenty of you know. Y- y- I don't think that 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 takes all anarchists off the hook in in every way. That you know, no one is is free of of of. Uh, of making bad calls or or but I I don't see them. I see fundamentally I don't see the anarchists as as being part of a of a um an ideology of of Western progressivism. I simply don't see it.
1: Well anyone who has frequented anarchist circles has doubtlessly heard the word utopian thrown about as an epithet. And in chapter four you write pretty extensively about different currents of utopian thinking in anarchist theory and praxis, including anti-utopian utopians and, and i've heard um ken stanley robinson the the, the writer uh, and author use the term anti-anti-utopia which accomplishes a sort of similar rhetorical double negative and i'm really interested in in this theory and it, it, it animates a lot of my research and so i was i was wondering ruth if you could talk a little bit about this idea um this this idea of anti-utopian utopians or anti-anti-utopia and, and why <laughs> has it proven important
2: for anarchist milieus right um Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, um, there's also, I mean, there's another way of thinking about it, which is utopian anti-utopianism. So you start off with the utopia. Uh, So if you don't have, I mean, if, if you don't have a theory, I mean, yeah, this comes back to the, to the previous point in a way. If you don't have a theory of progression, if you don't have a theory of history uh, of a, of a natural dynamic that's going to take you from one place to another, which for me is, is, is what anarchists, uh yeah that's the absence if you like they don't have that automatic that dynamic of change uh then you you have a problem one of motivation uh and two of kind of feasibility if you like and possibility so you know you're working in a real world which is structured by all kinds of institutions and power relationships that you don't like and and the question is well so you know what are you going to do about it how are you going to make it better so you're kind of drawn as an archist i think to to thinking about plans what it might look like how how you might how you might anarchize something how you might undo some of the 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 dominating forces that that you're that you're attacking so that's one way of thinking about it but at the same time you you can't it comes back to the education point again you you can't tell people the best ways to live. They have to choose ways of living by themselves and through their own through their own practices and through their own cooperation. So uh, you know you're working within this uh, again this this tension between what might something ideally look like in order to function in a particular way in order to deliver particular kinds of services or to meet particular kinds of needs how are you going to provide for well-being what kinds of measures do you need to take if you want to um transform um uh a social order without you know uh, going through hardship famine the the breakdown of 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 all kinds of 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 provision of of that 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 that, that that enable people to live decent lives. So you have to have, there's a certain amount of of planning and thinking involved in that. And of course, as soon as you start to plan and think for today, you're inevitably thinking about, you know, well, you know, where's that gonna go? How's that going to lead? And the other thing you're trying to to work out is what's possible within the constraints that you currently face. You know, we could sit here and that one of the criticisms that the anarchists, the the, the late 19th century anarchists had of of so-called utopian socialists, was that it? It was a it was a pretty pointless exercise to, to try and sit down and say, hey, look, ideal society looks like this. When actually capitalism was developing in particular ways that one were going to make it impossible, even if you thought that you could sell a desirable plan to everybody in the first place. Um, so I, I think there's a uh, there's a utopianism in anarchism which is about motivation and. Um, trying to overcome the, you know, the, the the deep skepticism people have about the the practicality of social order without the state, uh, and on the other hand, a way of uh, denying uh, a blueprint, if you like, the possibility of, of of finding a perfection. And it's you know the the criticism that anarchists have of 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 mainstream constitutions and and republicanism and and liberalism is that that's precisely what they did these people you know they sat down and they said what's a liberal society going to be like what's a an egalitarian society going to be like oh i tell you what i can write it down and then we can build it you know and and for the anarchists that's a complete disaster because as soon as you you crystallize something in that way uh you're you're building in a, a whole set of 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 decisions and values and uh, institutions, that that are that people themselves are are not party to. They're not they're not part of this. They're not involved in this. They're it's it's artificial. It's entirely artificial. It's abstract. So you can only build from below, but you have to build according to to certain aspirations. And I guess that's where the utopianism comes in.
0: So I suppose this this like last question builds on that what you were just saying, Ruth. But maybe. Um, it's more about, like, I suppose your your own like conclusions, because in in the final paragraph of the book, you state that the chances of anarchizing our social relationships and institutions are a lot higher than the likelihood of replacing the state with anarchy. So I was struck by this, and I wasn't sure exactly what you meant, because following the the sort of Lan- the Landauer um, statements about the state as a, a a social relationship, I kind of thought that one would entail the other um you know if we anarchize our social relationships then that's the state gone right so could you expand on the distinction that you're trying to make here
2: it's partly a way of of trying to um get away from this this thing called the state um which uh you know it, the state I mean it, what does it mean it's, I mean it is a huge complex concept and um you know we, we've already been talking about it you know so what does it mean in terms of people's understanding of um monopoly or exploitation or um racism or you know any of these kinds of of problem you know so, so on the one hand, I think the state becomes a shorthand for all kinds of different sorts of problems that we we, we need to think about separately. We need to break down. And on the other hand, I think um, if you say to someone, um, anarchy is about abolishing the state, uh, you know, that it seems so ridiculous, you know, that, that you, you you know, come again, uh, what on earth does it mean? How how would you how would you go about that? Uh, this is this is it, it, this is not just changing people's social relationships, is it? That seems to be saying uh, you're going to be changing everything from uh, the collection of the dustbins to to electoral systems, you know, from welfare systems to to schools to all the things that people enjoy. I mean, it just makes it sound crazy. Uh, so if we think so so part of what i'm trying to say is i'm not sure it's helpful to to, to think about these these really complex things in these shorthand ways um, I'm, i don't think that helps anarchists particularly and i don't think it helps uh, people who are skeptical about anarchism uh, get any greater sense of of what it is anarchists actually want to do um, so the other thing i guess i'm getting at i mean in terms of the 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 actual distinction is i don't think that anarchists do want to um replace the state so i don't think anarchists really want to do all that the state does (laughs) I think they want different kinds of social order. They don't want the same functionality. They don't want the same, they don't want this monopoly. They don't want that kind of um, exercise of violence. They don't want uh, necessarily to, to meet everybody's, um, You know, you don't, do you want welfare or do you want wellbeing? These are different kinds of things. One comes from care and community and cooperation. The other comes from dependence. Um, and, and if you have dependent relationships, you have to have, you know, quite complex, expensive structures in order to deliver all this. Um, you know, do we want to replace that? No, I don't think we want to replace it. We want to do something different. And and I think until you then break down what it is you think the state is, you can't really think about what it is you want to do differently or how you want to do it differently. And and it may be that that different groups of people actually have different understandings of the kinds of social order they want, and come up with different sorts of responses. But just to say, anarchists want to do you know, that, I mean that does put you back in the kind of the uh, the framework of well, anarchists are like Marxists except they have different means. No, they don't want they don't want to capture the state in order to make it more. Uh, to 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 get rid of, of of class power, they don't want to replicate the state. They don't want to replace it. They want to stop it because it continues to grow. And and in order to do that, you have to to fundamentally rethink your priorities and what it is you think that you can provide in order to to uh, to realize well-being. Is it almost like
1: a? And I don't want to put words in your mouth. And I know we're kind of like towing this interesting line between anarchist kind of like theory and, and Marxist theory. But is the project of anarchizing our social relationships similar in theory to the idea of like the withering of the state, but, but less so like the withering of the state and more like making the state like obsolete? Like I've heard people use that type of terminology before where like the state like and its its structures and powers no longer matter. Is that kind of like what you're hinting at there, or is it
2: something like different? No, so so my understanding of the withering away of the state is that the state loses its class function right, so, so, the state becomes the administration of things, so there's you know there's no reason to to worry about um class repression anymore because there's only one class now, and the state as as the the instrument of the executive of the bourgeoisie, the instrument of class power, it's gone but but you know so you know, this is what Bakunin said, yeah, and so what happens to all those institutions? You know the military, the justice system, what happens to those? They're just run by you know by by a classless group um well, you know no, thank you. I don't want that. Um, so anars is is I suppose a way of of I mean it, it, it's a turn I've you know I've taken from um Armand and and I think it's a great term. I you know the whole idea that you know it, it makes it makes anarchy for me quite um approachable accessible um, because you just as you can think about democratizing institutions or republicanizing institutions or feminizing institutions you can anarchize them um and and you can do that by you know tackling the 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 systems of domination that you see around you and that might be simply in the way that you behave to other people it might be the technique you use in a classroom uh, it might be the resistance to the technique you're told to use in the classroom. Um, you know, it it may be in the way that you engage with uh, local community organisations. It may be in the way that you organise local community organisations. There are there are all manner of things that you know. It, it might be in the in the um, the information you produce, the, the way you disseminate it. The uh, these are these are these are things within our power and our control. Uh, that we can anarchize.
1: Yeah, and I really like the term. I, I hadn't heard it before until I read the book. Um, so thanks for introducing me to it. I, I really like it too because it also jives with the idea that like anarchy is something you do, right? It's a verb. It's not. It's not just a noun, right? It can be, but it it, it really is at its most potent and salient when it is active when it is it's something that you do um rather than something that you are um and i I really like that idea about the language of, of anarchization um or anarchizing um but uh but yeah I digress. Before we part ways, um let's just go around real quick and let people know where they can like check out our work, pick up our book, that sort of thing. So Ruth, why don't you uh start where where can listeners um find your book, um The Government of No One or 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 your other work?
2: Um so The Government of No One is is um readily available in in mainstream bookstores, but you can also find it in most good radical independent booksellers. Um, you can access, um, a lot of my, most of my work, most all my work that's, um, that's not owned by a publisher, um, through the Loughborough university repository. And you can find a lot of it online. You can find other recent work on dog section Press's site, uh, all free, um, and accessible. Beautiful. Um,
1: Danny and Jim, where can folks go to listen to ABC with Danny
3: and Jim? well any any good uh, podcast app you should find ABC with Danny and Jim. We've managed somehow to create a relatively n- niche enough name that we're <laughs> quite searchable uh, you can also find us on Twitter uh, at ABC Danny and Jim uh, the same on Facebook uh, and we have an email which is ABC with Danny and Jim at gmail.com.
1: Beautiful and uh, if you guys are listening to this uh, episode of the podcast in ABC's podcast feed, you can find Coffee with Comrades wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can also find us online at www.coffeewithcomrades.com or on Instagram and Twitter. We have a Patreon, all that bullshit. Um, but yeah, um, this has been a lovely conversation, uh, y'all. I, I really appreciate getting to bounce these ideas around with y'all and you know think through these these ideas. Um, Ruth, thank you so much for. Um, agreeing to come on originally we had just kind of like floated the idea of just having you know a conversation amongst ourselves and then we were like oh wait we should just we should just message Ruth and that's because she wants to join us so you know I'm glad that we were able to make that happen um I think it was a, a cool um little dialogue that we had so so thanks y'all yeah well thank you
2: yeah I really yeah, enjoyed it thank you. you for sure yeah yeah likewise
3: yeah and you yeah thanks very much Pearson and and, and thanks Ruth I think that that line from Kropotkin, life and mutual aid or the state and death, is one that uh, that's going to stay with me,
0: I think. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's a good note to go out on. All right, y'all. Well, be well. Solidarity to each of you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Bye, Bye
0: bye.
3: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that show, do check out Ruth's work, much of which is available for free on the Loughborough University repository and Dog Section Press. We put links in the episode notes to help you find these. Likewise, if you enjoy our podcast, do check out Coffee with Comrades, a brilliant show with over 100 episodes, including interviews with Danny and Ruth, covering current events, theory, and action through a radical lens. You can subscribe to the show on your podcast app, follow on Twitter at Comrades, and find the show at CoffeeWithComrades.com. Thanks to everyone who was tuned in to our show over this year. We've been amazed by the interest that our DIY show chatting about radical history has generated. A special thanks to all those who have joined us on the show. Constance Bantman, Ollie Burke-Lawson, Frank Jacob, Cathy Ferguson, Alan Maguire of the Sobre Mesha podcast, and Pearson and Ruth from this episode. We have several more interviews lined up for the new year, and if you have a work that you'd like to discuss, have any recommendations for us, or have an idea for an ABC bite-size giving a summary of a foreign language work to an English audience, then get in touch. Our email is abcwithdannyandjim at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, both at ABC Danny and Jim. The podcast music is Stealing Orchestra and Rafael de Nocio, Gente de Minas Terra. The podcast logo is an adapted version of the Left Book Club logo and the image in this episode is a photograph of Jim's cat, Nye, enjoying the government of no one. Love and solidarity. Until next time.